Today's episode is brought to you by Coast to Coast Coffee, coasttocoastcoffee.ca. Input promo code HEAVILYPICKSCOFFEEFIX1 and receive $5 off your very first order. Fresh, whole beans delivered right to your door. Coast to Coast Coffee, the socially distanced choice for coffee lovers everywhere. Back in 1991, I was 22 years old. I had just graduated from college. I didn't have a plan, so I honestly wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I moved back home, but I felt like I couldn't stay there for very long. The longer I stayed, the harder it became to leave somehow. So I did something big and melodramatic. In January of 1992, I got into my car and drove to Chicago, a city that I'd never even visited and didn't really even know at all. Driving west about halfway across Ohio, the heater in my car gave out. My feet were so cold that they became numb. And every time my car seemed to lose a little bit of speed, I had to steal quick glimpses of them as I drove just to make sure that my foot was on the gas and not the brake. There were struggles, sure, but I found an apartment, I found a job, I opened a bank account, and I proved to myself that I could do this. All of us in our lives have moments where we have no choice but to hurl ourselves into the void. We cross our fingers and we hope for the best, never knowing if this is actually gonna end well for us. Some of you listening to me right now, you've done that same exact thing in one form or another. And if you haven't done it, well, you will someday soon. My guest today is a game developer named Ken Hall. Ken, like myself, recklessly and bravely hurled himself into the void in his 20s. So what did Ken find in his void? We are going to find out. And if you are a fan of the Prince of Persia series of games, especially the Sands of Time, you're not gonna wanna miss this episode. Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. Heavily Pixelated is a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that games do for us. I'm Scott C. Jones. Test, test. Okay, the microphone seems on. I'm just gonna dive into this. Uh, I'll probably ramble a little bit, but uh, here goes. Um, so yeah, basically I'm Ken Hall. I'm the uh, CEO and creative uh, director of Two Dogs Games, working on Destiny's Sword. And uh, I've been in the games industry for 25 years, uh, started off in the UK. And this is the story of uh, not only how I got into the industry, but uh, how games themselves really helped uh, me and particularly my son uh, survive a, a somewhat messy divorce. So yeah, to start off, I went through uh, mechanical engineering and fine arts at University of Waterloo. And everybody said, what the hell are you going to do with those two courses? So I took a backpack and a tent over to the UK to figure it out. If you are taking a backpack and a tent to Europe to find abstract answers to abstract questions, you are most certainly entering a void. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I had this incredibly stupid uh, and naive uh, assumption of what the rest of the world was like. Like, I actually thought I was going to go to the UK and rent a horse from a farmer and ride around the countryside, you know, <laughs> I had no idea that they were every bit as civilized as we Ken, were. Ken, we are all a little naive at the start of our adventures, for sure. Ken, in Europe, and adjusting his expectations, reports to a local job center. 
And I actually uh, went to the job center looking for a, a job in graphic design. <clears throat> and I went to this one interview and it turned out they were a computer games company. They said, if you can do something that impresses us in three days, you've got a job. So uh, I made one of the uh, the turrets from Hoth, from, uh, you know, the Empire Strikes Back. And uh, they, they really loved it. And they gave me a job. And that was how I got into the games industry. So that was a really fun ride. And while I was in the UK, I met my wife. And um, it had been rocky from the, the start. But uh, the best thing to come out of that was my son, Kieran. It's absolutely uh, been an amazing time uh, getting to watch this young man grow up into something pretty special. It was a, it was a holiday romance. We kind of just took it a bit too far. Um, <laughs> you took it more than a bit too far. You got married, man. We, well, I, and you know, I, I you know, it was a little bit of a shotgun wedding. You know, my, my son was born before we got married. Okay, um, I see. His mother and I, uh, she had uh, originally suffered from uh, a lot of mental health issues, uh, some depression and anxiety. Um, and in fact, just before I'd uh, come over there, she had had a car accident uh, and that had left her feeling really paranoid. She actually had developed this, uh, you know, feeling that if she ever got happy, she was going to die. This is a real thing Ken's talking about. It's a condition known as cherophobia. Cherophobia, according to the internet, is far more common than we realize. She also had a bit of a, a vindictive streak that if I can't be happy, nobody can be happy. Some of the things that were done were actively done to, to target my support network. For instance, I was a big hockey player over there. Um, I was a goaltender and a Canadian, so it made me in demand over there. And, and she went uh, and, and slept with one of the players on the team I was playing with. And, what? And so stuff like that, just, just continually trying to erode, you know, my foundation so that I wouldn't, you know, be happy, therefore making her jealous that she couldn't let herself be happy. You know, I, I tried to stay uh, for right or for wrong, you know, whether I should have got out earlier. I tried to stay in that relationship long enough to, to get Kieran to the point where I felt he was on his own two feet. He and I basically spent all our time together hiking and, and playing games and doing stuff uh, like that. He was really big into, into trains. We used to love playing uh, with model trains and things. The other side of the thing that made, you know, uh, didn't help the relationship any was that being in the games industry, it was such a turbulent time. It was the early days and it was the cowboy wild west of the games industry. Uh, I started off in the, the West Midlands and that company went under and I went to a, a, another one out in Telford and that company went under. The first company went under when my son was like six months old. I was so stressed one night, I remember waking up in bed. Uh, my son was crying, you know, wanting to be fed. And uh, I woke up in bed uh, thinking, oh my God, I've got to turn the edges on him. And if anybody remembers the early days of 3D modeling, there was a lot of edge turning and things like that to create the topology we wanted to do. So I was so stressed about my job and, and work and things like that, that I was, you know, seeing it in my, my family life. That really complicated the, the situation. 
You wouldn't get paid for three months, but they'd keep telling you it's coming, it's coming, and then suddenly, boom, they were gone, and you're, yeah. you're left holding the bag going, oh my God, I'm the only income earner. I haven't been paid in three months, and I have this young child, and I'm in a foreign country. What the hell do I do? In a tough spot, Ken begins to consider positions that are further away from home, and he lands one. So Ken's wife and his son, Kieran, stayed behind in Bristol. I moved up to Scotland and started working at this company with Real-Time Worlds with Dave Jones. It's not an overstatement to say that Dave Jones is a, a legendary figure in the video game realms. Jones created Lemmings and, somewhat more importantly, Grand Theft Auto. Back in Bristol, there were red flags almost immediately. And the biggest red flag of all was a french fry. My son had a really bad incident. Uh, you know, he choked on a french fry um, and my wife, you know, completely panicked and was not able to uh, deal with this. They were driving at the time and she was not able to cope with this and completely had a, a breakdown. Ken, up in Scotland, heard about this after the fact. Very luckily, some passerby came down and helped, uh, you know, give Kieran the, the Heimlich and get rid of the French fry and actually, you know, in, in all likelihood, save his life. So that was incredibly stressful, being so far away and not being able to do anything about it. But I was the only one earning money, so I had to stay there with my job. Things deteriorated fairly rapidly. Ultimately, we wound up getting a divorce. And that was an extremely difficult time. So I, you know, basically on my own, I had no family over in the UK. It was a, a year-long process of, of really combative, aggressive um, stuff in the, the courts. It was it took cost me thirty thousand pounds. Meanwhile, it cost my ex-wife nothing because she didn't work, and so she was paid for completely by legal aid. So she was almost incentivized to keep uh, attacking as long as she could just to try and outspend me, try and, and dry me up. And in the end, uh, the courts did award me custody, but it had taken such a physical and mental and, and uh, financial toll on me that I really didn't have much left in the tank at that time. At, at this date, I can actually look back on it and say it was a very abusive relationship. And yeah. and that was extremely difficult because, it, you know, it was unheard of back in that time, right? For, for there to be an abusive relationship where the, the man was the one being abused. But it wasn't a physical abuse, it was an emotional abuse. My son was really kind of a, a hostage in that process. That was my lowest point ever that, that I've ever been at in my life was at the end of that process, I was so drained and, and so completely isolated that I just had nothing left in the tank. So Ken has custody of his son. He's still working at Real Time Worlds and he needs something to pull his son and himself out of their post-divorce mire. We had a GameCube, which was, you know, at the time was the ultimate family uh, gaming platform. I, you know, the, the consoles really were turning towards the gritty, bloody, uh, you know, uh, vicious sort of combat games. And it really wasn't the kind of place uh, we wanted to be, the kind of games we wanted to play. So we, um, 
we had this GameCube and, and we had a number of different games that, you know, we really loved playing together. We played Harvest Moon, we played uh, uh, Heroes of Skies of Our Legends of Skies of Arcadia, and that sort of thing. But the game that really, I think, kind of not only brought us together, but, um, but really sort of was a foundation for us going through this whole process was Prince of Persia. Uh, in particular, the original Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. I mean, it's still, to this day, one of the most stunningly beautiful games I've ever seen. You know, the art direction on it was fantastic. It really had uh, an immersive quality, especially given the, the graphics of the, the day. They'd paid a lot of attention to details, the movement of curtains and things like that in the background, and, uh, you know, the, the sort of the beauty of the effects and, and the interaction with the environment, the way you could kind of scramble and, and do all the, the parkour that, uh, that is a hallmark of the Prince of Persia and later the uh, Assassin's Creed series. So Ken and his son, Kieran, still smarting from the loss of a wife and a mother, sat down and played the Sands of Time together, handing the controller back and forth. Working together to, to solve the puzzles and try to figure it out and, you know, enjoying the story and then talking about it afterwards gave us a really safe topic uh, to talk about, you know, gave us a way to engage with each other that, that wasn't threatening. It didn't sort of talk about the, the distressful things that were going on you know, gave us a real sense of control in, in the environment. We both took turns playing and watching and guiding the other and trying to figure out the puzzles together. It gave us a real cooperative, real sort of bonding experience. Most people think time is like a river that flows swift and sure in one direction. But I have seen the face of time, and I can tell you, they are wrong. <laughs> Prince of Persia is the story of a great king and his son, the prince. But more poignantly, at its core, the game is about correction. It's about fixing your mistakes in life. When something goes wrong, you can simply rewind time. Ken and his son, both wounded in their own unique ways, playing a game that was about rewinding time and fixing your mistakes and correcting what went wrong must have been incredibly cathartic for the both of them. Whether I'm conscious of it or not, I fantasize about having the ability to rewind time a couple of times a day. I think we all do. I remember one time uh, he'd, he'd been at his mother's and he'd had a, a whole ton of Iron Brew, which is this horrible orange soft drink that they drink in Scotland. Iron um, Brew? I've never heard of this. Oh, it's, it's the most horrendous <laughs> stuff. And I remember him, you know, barely getting in the door uh, and just <laughs> letting rip across the carpet. You know, it's just <laughs> vivid orange vomit. And oh. so sick and so upset that he'd done this. Those are the sort of situations that I do really well in. He's able to just sort of calmly go, okay, no big deal, we'll deal with it. And, and I think that, especially in the face of the anxiety he kept seeing with his mother, like any little thing it would be this massive, crazy, you know, would be, would be sort of exaggerated out of proportion to see that there was this stability and this, you know what, shit happens and we deal with it and we carry on and... You know, it's not anybody's fault. Yeah, okay, it's a pain in the ass. We got to clean the carpet, but... 
big deal. I, I really, you know, kind of awoke to the realization that, look, if this is all Kieran sees, then it's no good for him. That, yes, it's a painful, difficult process to go through a divorce at his age, but he needs to see positive relationship role models as well. Ken, I just want to take a moment and really give you credit for seeing the situation that you were in very clearly and understanding the damage that it was potentially doing to your son and realizing that for your own good and for your son's future, you needed to get him out of there and get yourself out of there. Giving your son a chance like that, like that's, that's really beautiful, man. A lot of it was, you know, wanting to show him that, look, if your situation sucks, because not everything in life is great, then you have not only the power, but the responsibility to change it. And I I felt like that was such an important message to send him that, you know, it's not okay just to sit here and complain about being a victim. You have to stand up and do something about it. We've always lived in a very tight-lipped family. Nobody talks about anything, which frustrates the hell out of me. Uh, I'm a sharer. I believe in, you know, communicating with everybody. From what I've been able to glean from the, the little conversations I've had with, you know, some people who don't really talk about much of anything, uh, especially when it's intimate, the relationship between my father and my mother was very similar to this one I had with my ex-wife. They, they kind of met in university and it was kind of a, you know, put the cart before the horse. You know, it was clear to us as kids growing up, they divorced in our family when I was in high school, halfway through high school. You know, they, they came to us all antsy going, we think we're going to get divorced. And my sister and I were like, duh. Mm. <laughs> like it had been clear from day one that this was a very difficult relationship. And it frustrated me that that was never something that was discussed because I really feel when I look back on it that that there were so many lessons I could have learned from their relationship that would have helped me avoid mistakes in mine. Not only that, but also not being afraid to talk about our mistakes and, and, and yes. you know, sort of look at them, you know, critique them and go, you know, if I had it to do again, I would choose this or I would be more wary of that. People feel that that somehow makes them seem weak to talk about their own failings or mistakes. And Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that anybody who can talk about that is way stronger than somebody who, you know, sort of doesn't seem to have made a mistake in their life because we know that doesn't exist. Coming up after the break, Ken's son, Kieran, joins us right after this. One thing you might not know about me is that I permit myself one cup of coffee per day. Oh, that's good. And if I'm only having one, I want to make sure it counts. And that's why I use Coast to Coast Coffee. Coast to Coast delivers fresh, whole beans right to your door. Enter promo code HEAVILYPICKSCOFFEEFIX1 to receive $5 off your very first order. Go to coasttocoast.ca to find out more. Coast to Coast Coffee, the socially distanced choice for coffee lovers everywhere. As promised, Ken's son, Kieran, now in his mid-twenties, joins us from Scotland. Kieran, are you you okay where you are? Are you you social distancing? Yes, I'm in Dudding, so that's the perfect place to social distance. It's basically a teeny village in the middle of nowhere up in Scotland. 
so that's good. But no, I'm I'm still got all my university work to get finished as well. So I'm not totally doing nothing. <laughs> you guys played Prince of Persia: Sands of Time on the GameCube back then, and can you remember playing this game with your dad? I can remember bits of it. Yes. It's just so endearing to think about the two of you sitting uh, in a, a room passing the controller back and forth. Well, we always used to like kind of fantasy stories and stuff as well. So Prince of Persia really fitted in really nicely with that because, of course, the whole thing was this really interesting fantasy story. It had lots of puzzles. And mm -hmm. uh, looking back on them, they were quite mechanical as well, which really fitted in with my mindset. We used to do a lot of mechanical stuff. So to have mechanical puzzles, that was the bit I was mainly interested in. I always remember kind of quickly handing the controller back over to my dad when any of the fighting started. Because <laughs> <laughs> any of the people. So. Ken and Kieran are both fond of architecture and engineering. So the spatial relations puzzles of the game were perfect for the both of them. There was Tomb Raider, where you were, you know, pushing and pulling things. Yep. But they didn't feel as, as part of the world as Prince of Persia. Like Prince of Persia just felt so uniquely cohesive and i think it, you know as kieran says that's one of the reasons it stands up so well because it was the complete package it may not have the high definition graphics that we all like nowadays but but it all was a cohesive whole the story of the game it had this sort of fantasy kind of grim's fairy tale quality to it indeed i like the the kind of element of the the monsters in the sand as well i like that there was a really mm -hmm. interesting take on on kind of baddies and the fact that it would all get sucked up and then you could use that sand so that when you fell, you could kind of reverse time and stuff added such an interesting element. I'm trying to imagine you guys like the habit of playing the game. I know that you were going back and forth between your moms and your dads back then. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And did you guys have a, a time or a particular night of the week in which you would play games or was it just whenever you were together? It was kind of when we could fit them in in the afternoon. It would be kind of an after after tea thing because we'd, we'd be doing lots of other stuff and, and we did a lot of outdoor activities as well. But yeah. um, it was more just, we, it was like, because it was with all the games because with Zelda and all of them, we just, and Skies of Arcadia, which was another yeah. great one, um, was, was just kind of when we could, the second you got kind of on the story, you just really wanted to keep finding out when it was. <laughs> so I remember pestering him to, to kind of play a bit more because you just want to know what the next chapter was. Most of the time, it was a case of we were sitting, uh, you know, uh, as Kieran says, we'd finish, you know, do his homework when he gets home from school, finish uh, dinner or tea. And uh, then we'd sit down and, and we'd start doing something like, you know, playing Lego or something like that together. And, and, and we'd fire up a game and, and, you know, while one person wasn't playing with the game, they'd mess around with the Lego. And we'd just sort of, for, for us, it was really just a, a, a great safe space where we could, mm -hmm. you know, spend time together and really talk about something that wasn't related to the, the pressures that we were experiencing. It was definitely a way of connecting because, I mean, it was Lego kind of outdoor activities, trains and stuff like that were all methods of connecting with my father and having something that we both mutually enjoyed. Video games fitted beautifully into that because not only would we play the video games, but then it would tie in with the Lego and the kind of outdoor activities because when you're outside, it would be like Prince of Persia and you'd be climbing a rock thinking you were in the game. Uh, your dad did mention uh, one night when you had just consumed an awful lot of or iron brew. Oh, and you, gosh. Yeah. And I don't know I if you were... I can't touch the stuff. I can't touch the stuff. I've tried it twice. And both times I've tried it, I've been violently ill with it. So I'm not, <laughs> I cannot have iron brew. <laughs> so you haven't had it since you were a child? 
No, never, never gone near it again. Oh boy, uh, it sounds wretched. Honestly, that's like I, it I like we, water and lemonade. That was pretty much its flavor, so it wasn't particularly nice. So I'm not missing it by any means. So. There's agency in, in video games. So <laughs> you guys are are making the story happen, and maybe your dad is doing the fighting, Karen, and maybe you're doing the puzzle solving, but you're still working together to get more of the story out. With games, it was really a, an active exploration of a, of a new world and, and, and a really sharing of an experience. The Prince of Persia game, Sands of Time, is a father-son story. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're just rem reminiscing about that, how, how much of a pain in the ass the, the fight against his father was. Um, Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast or no, not. No, it's, it's okay. We swear all the time. Um, <laughs> Slight correction here, Prince of Persia Sands of Time begins as a father-son story, but the father is lost relatively early in the game. He transforms into one of the sand creatures, but the prince, young and inexperienced, must continue the quest on his own. I think it's really a quest to, to you know, in some ways to gain a father's approval because I think his, his father sort of considers him a bit of a partying lout at the beginning, you know, with no responsibility and how are you ever going to take over the kingdom? Yeah, he looks like he just got back from what's that big festival they have in the sand of the desert. Oh, the Burning Man. Yeah, he looks like he, he looks like <laughs> he just got back from Burning Man. I do feel his wanting uh, his father's approval at the start of the game. And I think these are things that are very subtle that we're not always aware of their, their potency or their power, mm -hmm. uh, especially w when, you know, we're playing games. We sometimes just sort of, you know, watch these cutscenes ambivalently. If you look at most movies or games, that's a very ancient and kind of archetypal story of, mm -hmm. of a son and a father relationship and trying to, to kind of gain their approval. Whether or not I was consciously aware of it then, I think I was maybe a little bit too young, but uh, I'm sure it definitely had a little bit of, a, of an impact yeah. on me watching the stories. Ken, do you tell your son you love him? I, I do, yes, at the end of uh, most of our phone calls. Kieran, does it make you feel awkward when your dad tells you that he loves you? Uh, not really, no. It's, it's something that's happened from kind of day dot, so it's not really a surprise to me. It's not, it's not someone that's never shown any affection yeah. and then... We're both quite sensitive people at heart. Uh, you guys are, uh, are two tremendous men. I really have a lot of sympathy for the, for the both of you, and I'm just you know, I'm just really happy that you you both have made it to uh, the far shore and are doing as well <laughs> as you're both doing. Family isn't like to me. I don't see family as uh, you know a given. It's 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 a position to be earned. You know, like any other friendship. There's no room in life for people who are, are, are you know, sucking energy out of you and, and making you and making your life negative, regardless of who they are. The prince, a young dude at the start of his life, after the loss of his father, finds himself alone in a surreal castle filled with puzzles and sand creatures. He's overwhelmed. Thankfully, he finds an NPC, a non-playable character named Farah. Farah's rendering is a bit crass. One, cleavage. Two, short skirt. The kind of junk that games used to do back then. But Farah, despite her cartoonish appearance, is also real. She obviously has feelings for the prince. 
Consider this, as she watches the prince make another series of death-defying jumps, she will often show her concern by inhaling dramatically. I'll come to you. Listen and see if you can hear it. Right there. Farah obviously cares. She's your partner over the course of the game. She's always there. And for a man reeling after the disintegration of his marriage, and for a son mourning the loss of his mother, Farah, back in the early 2000s, was likely a great comfort to Ken and his son. Ken Hall, meet Patrice Desolais. Patrice Desolais is the game director for Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Patrice? Hey, hey Patrice, how are you doing? Good, you guys. Oh, I'm doing great, thank you. You guys got snow in Montreal? Oh yeah, we're in the middle of it. <laughs> you always have snow in Montreal. Uh, nothing in July, come on. Maybe a little in July. It's great to meet you, Patrice. Had a, a really formative experience myself with, uh, with with Prince of Persia: Sands of Time. Uh, you know, obviously being a, a fellow developer, you know the the kind of toll that uh, that industry can take on our our lives. I was working over in the UK where I'd been for a uh, number of years at the time. I was just going through a, a very difficult and, and somewhat acrimonious divorce. So I was, you know, sort of leading a team in development and, and then trying to spend as much time as I could with my son. And, it, you know, he was certainly young enough that it was, uh, it was, you know, not easy to discuss the actual what was happening around us. You know, we had a GameCube. So we had a number of titles, but one of the ones we really got stuck into was, was Prince of Persia because, you know, the, both the story and the beautiful environment of it was so immersive. The challenges and the puzzles just really gave us something to work together on and, and have a feeling of, you know, sort of that, that joint success overcoming, you know, some of those obstacles. It really gave us something positive to, uh, to latch on to during that time. Well, I'm really happy uh, to hear that. <laughs> it's always uh, emotional to receive some feedbacks like that of something you created uh, mm. years ago. And, uh, and you know, uh, since you're a game developer, you know, we make games to make people... Uh, uh, you know, feel happy, and and, and so I'm I'm really uh, really happy myself to hear your story. I'm a child of a divorce myself, right. and so uh, to hear that it may help you and uh, and your son uh, go through this uh, this period of time that can be really uh, hard and difficult. Uh, it, it really touches me to uh, to hear that. I'm sure it, it was nice also to have uh, the prince with Farah, and so they had a relationship while you were playing with someone. Really, really like what you said because it's something. It's really important for me when I design ga game is the, the 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 share experience you can have with my game. So mm -hmm. yes, I, I mostly I almost only you know design single player games, mm -hmm. but it's always played somehow with someone mm -hmm. beside yes. you that you can actually uh, have a discussion while you're playing and say, oh, can you try this? And maybe it's this is a solution to to our to our problem. And so. But also I design around the idea that the person who doesn't have the controller in hand can understand what's going on. Because, you know, we make games and then it goes into the world and then people experience it. It's really a personal experience after that. So again, thank you for sharing your story. And, uh, and I hope I won't uh, help you out with another divorce uh, down the road. <laughs> it's not Good. easy being in love with you guys. You know that. 
Yeah, we live in. The, we have two universes. We live in. We have the normal one and the game, and so I, it's right. not easy to be uh, to be with us. That's a great way to put it. Big thanks to Ken Hall. Ken's latest game, Destiny's Sword, can be wish-listed right now on Steam. Thanks also to Patrice Desolet. Patrice's latest game, Ancestors, The Humankind Odyssey, is available now on all platforms. If you'd like to see a photo of Ken and his son, Kieran, together, go to my website, scottcjones.com. If you like Heavily Pixelated and you'd like to support us, take 30 seconds out of your day and go to iTunes and leave us a review. That helps us so much. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash heavily pixelated. Patreon subscribers are entitled to a slew of extras, including one I posted just about five minutes ago. Um, it's the story of the time that Patrice came to my apartment in New York City to show me the original Assassin's Creed. It's a terrific story. I've never told it before, and it's exclusively available only for Patreon subscribers. Patreon.com backslash heavily pixelated. Music in today's episode includes The Fields at Home by Francis Wells, Paper Boat by Poddington Bear, The Vanishing American Family by Scuba Z, Orange Sunshine by Rod Hamilton and Tiffany Seal, In Abundance by Edgar Hopp, and the great song you're listening to right now, it's National Spark by Krastovsky. If you think you might be suffering from cherophobia, then talk to your therapists. Remember, self-care is always important, regardless of whether we're in a pandemic or not. Sarah Deakins is the producer of Heavily Pixelated. Stephen Nikolic is the technical producer. I'm Scott C. Jones. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Stuck in a